Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I'm glad y'all are here this morning. I'm glad to see some new faces, some faces I haven't seen in a long time. So welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, just want to give a particularly large shout out to our youth. Uh, Bless the Lord for them. They are serving in all sorts of places this morning. Yeah, bless the Lord. Um, You know, we've got them in kids' ministry, we've got them doing hospitality, they've greeted, they've set up, they are singing and leading us in worship. My hope is that in a future one of these, one of them is up here either sharing with me in the sermon or maybe preaching on their own, right? This is how we want to continue to develop the gifts that God is placing in our community. We want to to flame into fire, we want to right flame that that gift. Uh, So, uh, yeah. We're, we're excited. I'm so grateful for them and so grateful that you're here worshiping uh, with us. If you are a guest, again, a particular welcome to you. Make sure you get one of our welcome gifts on your way out if you haven't gotten it yet. And if you've been new to our church community anytime in the last six months uh, or maybe even a little more, today after the service, we're having something called Starting Point. Uh, which is just a gathering of folks who are relatively new to our community. Some of you got emails this week about it. Some of you haven't, but you're still invited. We'll gather right after the service, just in the conference room right next to this, uh, right next to this space. And uh, it'll be me, uh, uh, someone else from our congregation, just to talk to you a little bit about our church, hear a little bit about your story, get to know you a little bit, and give you a chance to get to know other new families and, and new people in our community. So make sure you join us. It won't be long, but it'll be a good place for connection and to hear a little bit more uh, about what we're about and where we're headed. Uh, a, a, a bit more of family news today uh, before we get into uh, the sermon for this morning. Uh, the Lord continues to do amazing things through our community. People from both of our campuses really stepped up in the collection of toiletry bags for the homeless that we did, that we kicked off in, on Christmas Eve and we did through sort of mid-January. Uh, all told, between both campuses, we collected uh, just about 200 toiletry bags for the homeless in our county. Bless the Lord for that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you can clap. That's great. Uh, when the folks from Love Chatham came to pick it up uh, this week, uh, it could not fit in their truck. And so they had to come back another time to pick it up. And uh, they said, this is a great problem to have. And we agree. So thank you so much for contributing to that. Uh, many of you invited your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers to our Christmas Eve service. It was our second uh, most highly attended Christmas Eve service in our history between both campuses. But more than it just being highly attended, it meant that there were more people there who hadn't been in church for a while, maybe haven't, hadn't heard the gospel story for a while, needed to hear it that evening. And that evening, we had a number of people uh, indicate that they were making decisions to follow Jesus. So we praise God for that. And thank you for your partnership in that. You handed out business cards. You handed out flyers. Some of you put up lawn signs. Some of you shared Facebook messages. Thank you for that. Thank you for uh, feeling that this is a place that you want your neighbors, your coworkers, and other people in your family to be on Christmas Eve. We bless the Lord for that. You know, as we've returned to meeting in person uh, after things shut down, things are sort of picking up. We're having new people come. Uh, We're seeing uh, new opportunities for us to serve in the community. People are volunteering, and more opportunities to volunteer are emerging. I mean, that's part of why we are handing out those cards and having you fill them out. And bless the Lord for the ways that energy is picking up and people are being reached and served in new and unique ways. Last year, uh, near the end of October, early November, we gave a quick financial update, and we invited you to consider uh, our church as part of your year-end giving. 
Our fiscal year runs uh, July to June, and like with most nonprofits, a good chunk of our budget comes in in the November to December span. Just to give you an idea of what it's like, between November and December, we get about three and a half months worth of the budget. So in those two months, about three and a half months worth of giving comes in. We budget very carefully, and we budget conservatively. We finished every year in the black for the past decade, And thanks to your generosity, we've seen double-digit percentage increase in giving over that same span every year except for 2020. And it has positioned us to be very generous in how we serve the community and the opportunities that we are able to capitalize on and the people we are able to engage with. And we've been delighted to do so. It's always been a joy when a need comes in for a large amount and because of your giving, we're able to cut a check. And we're able to also offer other opportunities to serve and connect, right? It's a joy uh, to do that, and you are part of that. Uh, When giving comes in at that extra month and a half at the end of the year, part of what it also does is it sets us up well for the rest of the fiscal year, where giving tends to uh, lag a little bit, and it also prepares us to plan for the next year's fiscal budget. Uh, So we can start to think about things like, okay, where do we need to increase staffing or staffing hours? Where do we need to bump up some of our part-time staff to be able to engage in some new opportunities? What new opportunities are emerging in the community that we want to be well-positioned for? Uh, With the growth that we are experiencing at both campuses, we are already feeling like we are at capacity in some places, and we see opportunities in the future. We've started to dream about them, and we've started to map out what it's going to look like for us to sort of ramp up to be ready for those opportunities. Um, And here's the news. This past November and December was the second largest November and December giving in our history. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for your generosity. It continuously blows me away, right? It's a privilege to be part of such a generous community. It wasn't quite a month and a half's worth extra. It was still fantastic, and we're still grateful. And here's what you need to know. We are in the black. We are not in debt. We are in the black, or we are not in the red, this budget, and we are in the black. We are in the black, and we are not anxious about the fact that uh, the end of the year was not as much as we've had in previous years in terms of percentage-wise. But we want you to know where things stand, and we want you to know how that impacts how we're planning. We know that people's finances have, have been affected. We know that inflation is running well. People's groceries are super expensive. Having two dozen eggs in your fridge is a luxury now. <laughs> right? I am grateful to have people in the community who gift me eggs. Uh, you know, it's uh, saving me a chunk of change. Right? And we know there are other factors affecting people's finances. And we don't know what giving is going to be like for the next five months. But... If giving follows the trends that it's followed every other year in our history, we're projecting that we'll likely be $30,000 under budget. That's not $30,000 in expenses above income. That's $30,000 under what we projected to receive. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to end in the red. In fact, we are already planning and anticipating what adjustments we'll make. But it does affect how we think about the next fiscal year, and we want you to know that. We want to say again, if you consider Chatham Community Church your home, this is the place where God has invited you to plant roots, I'll say what our, what our people and announcements always say. We invite you to give and give generously. Maybe that means praying about increasing your giving, or maybe if you've not been a consistent giver, it means praying about giving consistently. If over the next few months we close that gap, uh, then that'll be our green light, our green light to move as we were planning to move hiring more staff, increasing staff hours, capitalizing on certain opportunities uh, in the community. 
But here's the thing. If we don't close that gap, we're not just going to stay stuck. What we'll do is we'll pray and we'll figure out how God is inviting us to meet those opportunities in different ways. We're going to meet those opportunities because we believe God has called us to this community. But that's what we'll do. We're off to a great start in 2023. We wanted to update you. We're seeing the Lord at work in lots of ways, and we're glad that you're a part of it. So join us in praying. Join us in praying for the Lord's graciousness to continue to be upon us. Join us in praying for wisdom, for leadership, both as we plan for how to manage the finances in the end of this fiscal year and how we meet the needs in the coming years here in Chatham County. We want to bless not only our community here and in our North Chatham campus, but the community throughout Chatham County. So join us in praying that God shows us how to do that. All right, let's get to it now. In early 2020, there was this uh, company, this small family-owned company that came up with an innovative way uh, to sort of alter charging and data transfer cables. And in fact, I had one and I left it. Uh, Pete, could you grab my bag for a second there and bring it up here for me? I want to show you what it is that they did. Uh, they designed something that both increased the speed of data transfer. Here, Pete, could you put that back, please? Thanks, Pete. Round of applause for Pete. Yeah. Uh, so what they designed, it increased the speed of data transfer and it reduced the time for charging devices, right? And they changed the material with which the cables were made to make them more durable. And they added these nifty magnets, which both serve as a fantastic fidget toy, but also help coil the uh, cables in ways that avoid tripping, avoid snagging, and avoid tearing. It was fantastic. They took this idea to a crowdfunding website and they raised $1.7 million for this effort. It was a huge success. And once that period ended, they set out to manufacture and distribute all of these cables to the people who had supported them and also start to create an inventory sort of for mass market sales. But this was right as COVID was starting, right as things were shutting down. And that meant that they experienced all sorts of delays, supply chain issues, and, and the time to get the product to people kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And after a while, people started to send messages on the forums that this company had set up. Uh, they started sending messages accusing the company of selling the cables through third-party vendors before anyone who had backed them had received their cables. And some people came and said, oh, I saw your cables on Amazon and I got tired of waiting, so I bought them. And this is really poor quality. They used more colorful language than that. But they said, this is really poor quality. But here's the thing. The only problem is the company hadn't produced a single cable yet. And they hadn't shipped a single one yet. What had happened was, is that when other people saw how successful this crowdsourcing campaign was, they took the pictures, they took the videos, and they started to produce knockoffs of this product. Imitations that looked like it, but because they didn't have the proprietary stuff, they weren't as good. They weren't as good. In fact, some people's devices were even put in peril by using those cables. See, when there's something that's really good, there's usually going to be someone that's going to try to produce a knockoff. There's usually going to be a knockoff trying to pass itself as the real deal, or at the very least an acceptable alternative. But all those knockoffs, all those quote acceptable unquote alternatives, usually fail to deliver. And in some cases, they can even do harm. They can do more harm than good. 
Throughout our Living Supernaturally series, we've been talking about what it means to partner with the Holy Spirit in everything we dedicate ourselves to, being open not just to the day-to-day ways that we can live out living in the Spirit, but being open also to the miraculous and the Spirit's guidance. We want to dedicate ourselves to being with the Spirit in all we set our minds to. And just as there are knockoffs and imitators and other alternatives to this cable, there are alternatives to the Holy Spirit in order to access spiritual power. We're going to see that in today's passage. And we're going to see that those alternatives fail to deliver and, in fact, do harm. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We're actually going to read two passages, Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is going to be a really short selection. So if you have a Bible or you have a device, I'd recommend you just sit in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5, and we'll read for a little bit, and then I'll immediately switch over to Acts 16. So we'll read both passages at once. Here we go. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of hands of the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right with, before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. We'll move on to chapter 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men, the servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Let me give some background to the passages so we have a sense of what's going on and who the players are in each one. The first passage is actually the one that comes just before the passage we preached about last week. So if you were here last week, you're familiar with what's going on. If, you're, if you weren't, don't worry. I'm going to review what we said. Uh, what's happened in the first century is that the community of Jesus followers has, has sort of emerged in Jerusalem and they've developed some tension with religious authorities to the point where persecution has sort of come on the community of Jesus followers, and they have scattered. Most of them have scattered. The apostles, 
the follower, the, the ones who had followed Jesus most closely have stayed in Jerusalem, but everyone else, or most everyone else, has left Jerusalem. One of those is Philip, and Philip makes his way to Samaria. That's where the Acts 8 passage takes place. Samaria is an area that has had a rough relationship with Jerusalem, and there is conflict between Samaritans and the greater Jewish world. The second passage takes place in a completely different location, right? We're going from sort of, uh, sort of the Palestine-Israel area all the way over to Greece, and we're in Philippi specifically. And it's, uh, it's part of one of the Apostles Paul's journeys to communities in that area to preach the gospel and establish communities of faith there. And Paul is there, and he's likely with Silas and Timothy as well. Both passages have a good bit of supernatural stuff going on. And it's either there explicitly or it's alluded to. You've got a young girl in Greece who can tell the future, and she's been sort of doing some fortune-telling for people. Uh, In Samaria, you've got a man named Simon who's known as the great power of God. I don't know if he gave himself that name or other people gave him that name, but that's something, isn't it, to call yourself the great power of God. He apparently can do things that would have qualified him as a sorcerer in that time, and it says that people were impressed and amazed. You've also got impure spirits coming out of people. Philip is performing signs and healing people. He's likely casting out some of those impure spirits, as is Paul with the, uh, with the girl. John and Peter also show up, and they lay hands, and the Holy Spirit sort of comes on people in ways that were clearly noticeable. Here's something that's, in, that's common in all those supernatural things. What's common in all those supernatural things is that people are intrigued. People check it out. People want to know what's going on. Crowds gather, and reputations are developed, and that's because spiritual power is compelling. Demonstrations of spiritual power are compelling. Jesus' ministry and the growth of the early church as recorded in the New Testament were marked by the gospel, the good news proclaimed both in word and in deed, right? It was, it was proclaimed through the message that the kingdom of God was breaking in, but it was also demonstrated through charitable acts, good acts, hospitality, generosity, sharing, but also through what are known as signs and wonders, movements of the Holy Spirit that confirmed that the good message that Jesus and the apostles were preaching was actually present, visible, and available for everyone. And people came. And that's still true in much of the world. Spiritual power is still compelling. In fact, even power that appears to be spiritual is compelling. Even if we're sure it's not actually real, it draws attention. I remember as a little kid, and maybe you had this experience too, tuning in to re-airings of David Copperfield's illusion specials, right? And I wanted to see how David Copperfield was going to make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Now, I already knew that illusionists have tricks, and I've known it still, and even still, I tune in when there's an illusionist, right? There's something about the possibility that there might be something legitimate or real that's beyond what we can perceive as natural that is intriguing to me, that is intriguing to us. Some would say that there's something in us that wants to believe, that wants to believe that the supernatural is possible. Actually, I take it a step further. I'd say that there's something in us that knows that it's possible, that knows that there's something supernatural, that there knows that there's something beyond 
Now, there are people that find that hard to believe. And when they hear supernatural stories or stories about spiritual power happening around the world locally, whether present day or throughout history, they reason, well, there must be some logical explanation because if those things were true and they were actually happening and they were actually spiritual power, then I'd see more in my day-to-day life. And here's what I'd argue. I'd argue that there is actually more happening in our day-to-day life, but we don't recognize it. We don't recognize it or we rationalize it away. Part of that has to do with the way Western thought has developed in the last few centuries. We've divided things into the empirical world, what we can perceive with our senses, and other. (laughs) And in fact, most people would argue that there's nothing other than the empirical world. Those of us who are people of faith have been affected by this development in Western thought and that we know that there's an empirical world. And because we are people of faith, we believe there's a transcendent world, a world beyond ours. But we live as if the two never meet, as if the transcendent world and the empirical world never interlock. That's what's known in academic circles as the flaw of the excluded middle, where the world that transcends and the world that we can perceive never meet. But that's never how it was meant to be. That's never how it was meant to be. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and have been invited to live supernaturally in the day-to-day, but also maybe in ways that would resemble the signs, the wonders, the demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And it's not for the sake of a gimmick. It's not for the sake of of creating sort of an audience. It's for the sake of confirming the message that we preach with our mouths and we live with our lives. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, confirming that the gospel is true. And it was is, and will always be compelling. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't the only one people can engage for access to spiritual power or to venture into supernatural living, and we see some of that in this passage. Simon must have had something more than sleight of hand and smoke and mirrors to develop the reputation he had. You don't get called the great power of God if all you can do is make a coin disappear right, from behind someone's ear. There's got to be something more that amazed people for such a long time and developed this reputation. There's got to be something real there. And the girl, the girl wouldn't have been the money-making machine she was unless there was some degree of accuracy in the predictions she was making. It's likely that she had returned customers and developed a steady stream of business for her owners. Now, you can call them demons, You can call them impure spirits. You can call them just spirits. You can call them fallen angels. You can call them whatever you want. The scripture, church history, and present day Christians around the world, along with folks who aren't Christians, will say that there are other sources of spiritual power, that there are other places to access spiritual power. And here's the thing. It doesn't always seem all that bad. In fact, some of it on the surface seems harmless. In fact, it may even seem good, right? Simon's power amazed people, right? It created an opportunity for wonder. There's nothing wrong with that, right? A little bit of wonder, nothing wrong with that. And who knows how many people benefited from the predictions that that girl made, how that influenced how they live their lives. So what if people made a little bit of money off it, right? There's no harm in that, right? What's the harm in that? 
But you dig a little deeper, and you see that there's something rotten there as well. You see that for all of Simon's power, a large number of people in that community were bound by impure spirits. They were living tormented lives. They needed freedom. And either Simon's power wasn't strong enough to bring it, or he wouldn't do it. And for all that that girl predicted good things or maybe bad things that people could avoid for other people, she was a slave. She was held captive by her owners. It was all in the service, not of enriching herself or benefiting herself, but it was all in the service of enriching other people, her owners. It's possible that she had no choice or say in when she went out to do fortune telling or how much she could do or when she could stop. That's not worth it. That's not worth it. See, no matter how good it appears, how much good it seems like it does, counterfeit supernatural living always falls short. And if you dig enough, it always does harm. It always does harm. There's always a price to pay when trying to wield supernatural power or benefit from supernatural power outside of the Holy Spirit. There's always a price to pay. Even our fairy tales know this. How many of you remember the fairy tale of Rumpelstiltskin? For those of you who need a refresher on Grimm's fairy tales, there's this uh, young girl who is uh, uh, told that she needs to weave straw into gold. That's not an easy thing to do, folks. I don't know if you've ever tried. It's not really easy. And, and she's threatened. If she doesn't do it, there will be consequences. And as she's fretting over this, someone enters where she's at who can weave straw into gold, and he offers to do it for her. But she has to give him something. So she gives him one of her possessions. The next night, the same thing happens. The next night, the same thing happens until she has no more possessions left. And one evening, she's been threatened with death if she can't weave straw into gold, and if she can't, she will marry the king, be freed of this, and become the queen. And Rumpelstiltskin comes, and she has nothing left to give. And he says, well, how about if you promise me your firstborn? And the woman feels she needs this supernatural power. And so she says, yes. Now, the story ends differently, and she is liberated from that, but there's always a cost. Even our fairy tales know this. There's always a cost to wielding supernatural power or trying to benefit from supernatural power outside of God. But it's not the case in the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit gives, he gives freely. The Holy Spirit extracts nothing from us in exchange for partnership with him. He extracts nothing from us because he needs nothing from us. When his power is manifest, the result is always good in every way. There's no collateral damage. The problem with other sources of power is not just that they don't measure up to the Spirit's power. An additional power, an additional uh, problem, is that they're all about control. Counterfeit spiritual power is about control rather than partnership. When we've been talking about the Spirit this series, we've always talked about partnership. It's a partnership with the Spirit. But with other spiritual power, it's always about control. And you see this in the Simon story. I mean, it's evident in the story of the slave girl. She is owned. She is controlled. And that gives her owners control and ownership over the spiritual power in it. But it's there in the Simon story too. He gets baptized. 
He gets baptized. He decides to follow Jesus, but he's still got old habits to break. And old frameworks for how to conceive of spiritual power are still set in him. And when he sees Peter and John lay hands on people, and he sees that somehow some spiritual transfer of power is happening in visible ways, something gets triggered in him. Something lights up in him. And here's the thing. Here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't ask them to pray for him. He doesn't ask them to lay their hands on him so that he might receive the Holy Spirit. That's not what he does. What he does is offer them money. He offers them money so he can own the power. So he can control who in that community is going to get the Holy Spirit and who doesn't. The focus on control has corrupted Simon and it's corrupted the slave girl's owners. And it's corrupted them in the ways that control has corrupted throughout history and still corrupts to this day. But living supernaturally through the Holy Spirit is different. And you see it throughout the passage. Supernatural living through the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. Right? It's noticeable in the Simon story. Who's getting pointed through with Simon's power? Him. He is the great power of God. But when Philip comes... When Philip comes, something different happens. Simon wants to lead people to himself, but Philip leads people to Jesus through the good news of his proclamation and the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Women and men get baptized. They enter into the life that is truly life. The Spirit's power doesn't just point people to Jesus. The Spirit's power brings freedom. There were people in Samaria who were bound They were bound by impure spirits and Philip shows up and what happens? They experience freedom. They experience freedom and healings that were needed come. The young girl in the passage in Acts 16 is freed finally from the thing that was trapping her. We we sing about this and we read it in scripture where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's one of the hallmarks of the spirit's work. There is always abundance of goodness, and that's why the Spirit's power also produces joy. There had been spiritual power in Samaria, at least as long as Simon had set up shop there. But there was only joy when the Holy Spirit came. When the Spirit came, it tells us that joy broke out in that city. There was great joy. Joy has come up a lot in this series. I've been surprised by how much it's come up in the passages. And in fact, we talked about joy for a whole series near the end of 2022. I wonder if God is trying to get our attention. I wonder if joy is a gift God has long wanted us to receive. And as we've been talking about it, he's showing us how. That one of the ways to see joy break out, not just in our lives, but in our communities, is to live supernaturally through the Holy Spirit, to partner with the Spirit of God. When we started this series, we talked about how 2023, we wanted it to be the year of the Lord's favor in and through our lives because Jesus had inaugurated an age of the Lord's favor as he partnered with the Holy Spirit and then sent the Holy Spirit to us so we could partner with the Spirit as well. We put this up the first week. I'm gonna put it up again. Here are the distinctives of that age of the Lord's favor, that we are commissioned, we are set aside for something, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, to proclaim 
the year of the Lord's favor in how we speak and how we live. I want to focus today on freedom for the prisoners and freedom for the oppressed. Because the other sources of spiritual power produce prisoners and oppress people. But the Holy Spirit, living supernaturally in the Holy Spirit, frees prisoners and liberates people from oppression. Now, I don't have a lot of experience in healing. I've talked about that before. I've been praying for healing for, uh, at this point, about a decade and a half, I guess. And I've seen some stuff happen, but I've never seen someone be fully healed. But in this area, I've had a little bit more experience. Um, Early on in my walk with Jesus, I had some time praying with someone. And, you know, I grew up not in church, and I dabbled in lots of stuff, and there were some influences in my life that needed to be broken. Some spiritual power needed to be broken, and it was. And I've had the opportunity throughout the years to pray for people and seeing things lift from them, to pray for people and seeing them experience freedom, to pray for people and seeing opposition that they were encountering go away. In fact, it's happened for me as well. I remember one time I was about to speak at a conference. I was going to talk about the lordship of Jesus. And I woke up that morning with the worst headache I'd ever experienced in my life. It was so debilitating that I had to go lay down during sessions. I couldn't even stand up. And I was very close to canceling my uh, opportunity to speak. But people prayed for me. People prayed for me, and I sensed, okay, I, I've got to, this is, there's some opposition here. This is not how my headaches normally feel, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. The moment I set foot on the stage, the headache lifted. There was opposition coming against me. People prayed. People prayed for the Spirit, and the opposition lifted. So here's what I'd like to do today. I'd like to spend some time praying for these things. I'd like to create an atmosphere where we could bring freedom to the prisoners and we could bring freedom to those that are oppressed. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to just invite the Holy Spirit to reveal, right? to just show us what's going on in the room, show you what's going on in the room. Let me do that now. Holy Spirit, as we spend some time praying now, would you reveal? Would you show us what you want to do? Some of us need freedom today. Some of us don't. We've got it. That's okay, Lord. But for those of us that need it, would you reveal it so that we would experience it right now? I want to start with those that might be bound. If you feel bound or trapped by anything, if you've dabbled in other sources of spiritual power or maybe invested yourself fully into that, there's an invitation for you today for freedom. Those spiritual powers are all about control. The spiritual power in the Holy Spirit is about freedom. You can receive that today. So if you're feeling bound in any way, if you're feeling caught in a prison in any way, you're feeling it right now, here's what I want to invite you to do. Right there where you are, I want you to renounce whatever it is that's binding you. Whatever it is that you feel might be holding you captive. Just say no to that. Just say, I renounce that. I give that up. It holds no sway over me. Holy Spirit, would you hear those words? Would you break the power of any spirit that is not of you? In Jesus' name. And now I want you to declare your allegiance to Jesus and the Holy Spirit in whatever way that's fitting for you. It could be as simple as saying, I love Jesus and give my life to him. Say that. 
As people are saying that, declaring it, affirming it, would you fill them, Holy Spirit? Now, for those of you who are feeling like there's opposition coming against you, like you feel like you're trying to do the right thing, but at every turn it just feels like there is a wall and just bad stuff is happening, stuff that's distracting, stuff that's bringing you down, stuff that's feeling like it's weighing your feet with mud or with cement, and it just feels like, man, I'm trying to do the right thing, and these things just keep dragging me down. You might be experiencing some opposition. So what I'm going to invite you to do is something that in spiritual language is known as rebuking. You don't need to know what it is, but you can just say, whatever is opposing me, be gone in Jesus' name. You have authority to say that because the spirit who is in you, same one that was with Jesus, and Jesus has won the victory over anything that might oppose you. Just rebuke it. Lord, would you cast away anything that might oppose? Would people here feel lighter as they leave today knowing that you are with them and your spirit's power is stronger than anything that could come against us? Right? No weapon formed against us will prosper. Greater is he that is in us than in he that is in the world. Those things are true. May they be true for my sisters and brothers today. And now let me pray a prayer of, for us to receive. Lord, whatever the Spirit wants to bring, the goodness, the freedom, the joy, the healing, the sense of lightness, the sense of peace, would you bring it to my sisters and brothers right now, to my friends? Would they know it true? Would they have a sense of the strength in your spirit? Not a strength that is domineering or overpowering, but a strength that knows that it has won the victory. Would that be true for all of us, God? And protect us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.